So welcome everyone to this, the ninth in our series of Thrive London Good Thinking Podcasts. These are a place where our clinical director, Dr. Richard Graham, has discussions with people who are facing challenges in supporting themselves or others during this challenging time. Today, Dr. Richard Graham is in conversation with Emma Murray. She's head teacher of Seven Sisters Primary School, a school in a very deprived area of London. And she and Richard are going to talk about how to support vulnerable families and children during lockdown. Over to you, Richard and Emma. Thank you very much, Tracy, And thank you, Emma, for squeezing some time into no doubt a really packed and, and intense period of your life to share with us some of the experiences you've been having as a head teacher. Thank you very much for having me. I guess the last few weeks of your time as a head teacher have probably seen more changes than you've experienced at any other point in your career. And I wonder if you could share with us just what some of the major changes have been and, and what it's felt like going through them, negotiating all sorts of changes. Um, but just to help our listeners understand just what you've been struggling with. I think the biggest change or the biggest thing that I've had to deal with is having answers because there's been a lot of questions out there whether the questions have been from children whether it's been from teachers whether it's been from parents and and it's being able to have those answers to hand and the first couple of days when it was announced that schools would be closing on the Friday Mm -hmm. it was right well where do we go from here and I think you know for us what was very difficult was how are we going to then communicate? You know, our children are going to be at home. We've got a number of children that live in poverty. Mm-hmm. They won't be able, you know, when they come to school, school is the one hot meal that they have every day. Mm-hmm. And I suppose for us, we were very concerned about our children's well-being and that took precedence over everything else. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that was, for me, exceptionally difficult was the amount of information that was coming in. And the sort of first sort of two weeks, it was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I I think I must have been getting probably 25 emails every day. But these emails were big and chunky and had an amazing amount of reading that was needed. You know, these government documents that were coming out, you know, where did we stand on free school meals? Where did we stand on early years and children in the nursery and them coming in? Where do we stand on teaching and learning? You know, what about safeguarding procedures? All these sort of elements had to be read and obviously digested because the the world was changing minute by minute in those, well, it still is even today. So that was exceptionally difficult for me. But what I found was really helpful was I've got a good team around me. So my senior leadership team, Mm -hmm. they took on some of the reading of those emails and then would just pass it on to me, you know, the, the key things that we needed to know. But I think what's also been easier is the local authority this week, because they've heard back from other head teachers as well. We're just having this information overload. Yeah. So even the local authority have sort of adapted how they're sending us information 
Kingston and they're working with the Haringey Education Partnership and they're going to twice a week provide briefings in the form of a PowerPoint presentation. So for somebody like me, I'm a visual learner. It's very nice to see it visually. So yeah, hopefully it will start to slow down and it will start to, you know, be a lot easier to digest. That's really interesting because we have been talking with young people over the past year about pre-coronavirus, how they managed the sheer volume of information that the online world now can give to them through social media and what they've learned to do, which I think is what you're saying is actually using your social networks as in offline to kind of process together the, the sheer volume of information. And perhaps that is a way together that we can make it a bit more manageable and that the really key messages we share among amongst ourselves. Yeah, and I think at this moment in time, we have relied a lot over the years on social media Mm -hmm. and media itself. But it's almost like the last week, I've been craving, craving human sort of dialogue and conversation, you know, to to be in a room with my team and to talk things through. That in itself has been hard. But I know with my own son, he takes an immune suppressant drug so he's in the moderate category he's got to just be careful mm-hmm. in the first couple of weeks he was exceptionally worried and wouldn't step foot outside the house because he was reading too much on the internet yeah. and even myself I think last week I just got to the point where I'm thinking I've got to do something and I've I've limited myself. I will only watch the news first thing in the morning when I'm getting up ready to go to work Mm -hmm. and maybe in the evening just, uh, you know, if the prime, well, it was the prime minister, but when the team were giving their briefings in the evening, I would watch a little bit of that to see if anything could change. Mm -hmm. But I've stopped having the radio on during the day. It's too much and it actually gets to the point where you start overthinking things. So, you know, a dry cough, you know, because you've been speaking too much, you suddenly think, oh, my gosh, I, I've got coronavirus. You know, yeah. you've got to be able to just take things in moderation and retrain yourself almost not to be a slave to your phone and social media. Sounds like one of the really valuable lessons then that you've learned over this period is to create space for what we might call thinking, mm. you know, some thinking space to consider what some of the issues are and then to actually evaluate or undertake some sort of process that would help you come to the best answer at that moment. Over the years, being a, a head teacher, the, the best bit of advice I was always given by somebody was, you know, if, if you're asked a question and you don't have the answer, you always say, let me get back to you. Let me get back to you on that. Mm-hmm. And at this moment in time, never has that been so pertinent. It's almost Thursday, I was at, at work and, and a number of things had happened. And Friday, I decided, nope, I am actually taking today to clear my head. Mm-hmm. I didn't look at my emails all day and I, I cleared my head and my thoughts, you know, I was then able to think, right, okay, we need to do this, this and this. And I've got to, you know, and I, I made my list and I was able to think clearly. Mm. And I think that's very, very important, particularly at this time, because as, as I keep mentioning, it is just information overload. And, you know, the amount of times my head felt like it was going to explode. Uh, so I took Friday, 
I'd switched off. My SLT were at work. They knew not to bother me. And it, it worked. And I felt clearer going into the weekend and obviously the start of a new week. That's really helpful. Um, we're going to be talking with a psychologist from the Maudsley Hospital, oh. uh, Janet Wingrove, who absolutely recommends that. She says you can do it in a smaller version all the time where you take a pause and give yourself some breathing space. And then that can help you face whatever that challenge is in a different way. So I think it's a really powerful message for anyone listening that sometimes it's really important to stop and take breath or create some space to think. And that'll help you find a better answer when you need to get back to someone. When you get those emails, that email that sort of tips me over the edge, the email that makes me want to, you know, clench my fist. (laughs) And, you know, again, it was the one thing, yes, respond to that email, but never press send. (laughs) Always come back to it the next morning, you know, because it's amazing what, you know, even a few hours can make to your thought process, you know, but a good night's sleep as well, going to bed on something, you know, getting a good night's sleep and then waking up, it gives you a clearer perspective on most things, to be honest. I think that's right. But I'd like to go back to something you said early on where you started really, which was recognising that in this current situation, not everyone is equal. There is some talk that coronavirus is a great leveller, that it will affect the great and the good, the rich and the poor. But actually, for some of the families you're supporting, it sounded like you were very acutely attuned to the fact that this crisis was really a crisis of devastating proportions for them, because a lot of what they depended on was just going to be taken away. You know, we have our own food bank at the school. We work closely with the Felix Project and they are still delivering once a week to us. In the last three weeks, we've gone from giving food to, it's doubled almost in size because we've obviously got a lot of parents who work cash in hand jobs you know they're just working to survive I would say and obviously now you know they've been told to social distance that they're unable to work and they have no money and we've also got a lot of parents who have no recourse to public funds so our job there is to help them and you know the other thing which makes me cross at the moment actually you know you've got all these famous people coming out and they're doing these youtube videos and they're reading stories to the children and i'm getting emails from various companies saying we're offering you know a free subscription to a internet site and this and and i'm thinking our parents don't even have email addresses you know we're even going to struggle to send them the free school meal vouchers you know because we don't have email addresses for them because at this moment in time and prior to this coronavirus outbreak our parents struggled to put food on the table. And if they're struggling to put food on the table, they're not going to be able to subscribe to BT Internet or, you know, Virgin Media. That that is going to be the last thing on their mind. So a lot of our children do not have access to digital services. So we've had to think about that really carefully. And we're ensuring that our children are able, or a member of the family is able to pop into school to collect what we call hard copies of the work because they can't access anything online because they don't have internet access and you know as as we've used that word digital exclusion they've been excluded 
And for me, it's highlighting that there is still a big divide between rich and poor. And it's a reminder as well, given that you are giving parents and families printed materials, sort of hard copies of information and advice, that even for a service like ourselves, good thinking, where we are, you know, a digital service trying to reach people in different ways, we can't forget that there are some that might feel left behind if we don't also find ways of sharing information through some of those perhaps old school ways. But given the need for everyone to be up to date with the latest information about what to do and Mm. how to protect themselves and others, your idea of actually making sure people get that, even if it's through paper and a printer, it seems a really good one. Yeah, and then that's, you know, what we're asking staff to do at the moment, because I mean, obviously, the school is open, albeit to a handful of children. Obviously, we've also got to be open because we're providing parents with resources in terms of food and, you know, deodorants and things like that at at this time because they they just haven't got the money to even go and buy those resources so we are open and obviously the teachers are in and albeit on a rotor system so we've just asked them you know every couple of weeks to gather stuff together we get it printed we're going to open up the office after um, easter put tables out and each year group to have their work in boxes so a parent can just walk in pick up what they need but we've also decided that we're going to get a lot of reading books and put reading books out so that parents can grab some books for their children to read at home as well it's just trying to you know come up with ways which support our parents and our families. I mean, don't get me wrong, some parents do have access to the internet and the school website. So we are also uploading stuff to the school website. And we do have, you know, subscriptions to various maths programs and and English programs that some parents will access. But we're also thinking about the families that can't access that as well. Yeah, that seems like a very good approach to make sure no one is left behind or forgotten Mm. and that everyone in a way can have access to the same opportunities, whatever they can manage in terms of technology. Mm. I'd like to ask you now, if you were able to know a month ago what you think you know now what do you think were the most useful things that you've learned might be information it may be something as simple as remembering to use a printer but what are the the things that you think had you got those in your mind a month ago just before we went into lockdown and the schools were closed would have been really helpful to know I think my my biggest one would have been to have made sure the freezers at school had been defrosted (laughs) and were cleaned out and and ready, you know. So obviously when we got the call to say that, you know, the schools were were shutting, that food, because for a school like ours, food is precious. And anything that's wasted for us is a crime. We would have defrosted all the freezers so there was no frost or anything. And we could have put everything in there and kept it. And then, you know, that would have enabled us to give more food and more supplies to our families. Uh Food is actually a basic need a human has in order to survive. And until you go without it, you don't realise how important it is. I think we take it for granted an awful lot. And I think I got very upset 
all those people stockpiling. That for me was absolutely atrocious because as an educationist, we were at work every day. We didn't have the luxury of going to to the supermarkets and stockpiling. Mm -hmm. And every evening you'd come home and you'd watch all these people on the TV doing it. And also knowing that our families, that they haven't got the money to go out and stockpile all this food. Mm -hmm. And that for me was absolutely atrocious. And one of the things that I think could have been handled better. It's a really good theme. You keep coming back to really which is in terms of our needs and there was someone called Maslow who talked about a hierarchy of needs in the last century you know food is pretty much there at the top really of of what you absolutely have to prioritize or is it the bottom of the pyramid it's one way or the other yeah and you know two of the things that you've touched on there both in terms of the school freezers and the panic buying if that's the right description you know is a sense of people out of desperation, out of panic, you know, remembering that an internet connection you can live without, but actually food you can't. And somehow that comes across in what you're saying very, very powerfully. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm very passionate. We, we've done a lot of work as a, as a staff team around Maslow and the needs, and we've done an awful lot around trauma as well. And, mm. and, you know, even going without food, knowing what it is to be starving, mm. to not know where your next meal is coming from is trauma in itself. That will affect you for the rest of your life. You know, I have spoken to people who, you know, obviously growing up, they've had very difficult childhoods and and food has been a key issue. And as they've got older, they have sort of stockpiled. They always make sure that they have food in the house because they never want to go back to that feeling as a child of being hungry. It's a very, very powerful thing for me, and I'm very passionate about it. And I think that's why at Seven Sisters, we're a trauma-informed school. We are more focused on well-being than God forbid I should say this, than on teaching children the history of of the Romans and the Celts. My first concern is that child and their well-being and their mental health and making sure that they are okay. That sounds absolutely right, that if you can help someone in their early life have the best start they can, which of course includes food and all those other material necessities, that will improve their life chances, whatever they know about the Romans. True, yeah, it is, yeah. I'd like to ask you now, Emma, something about how you've been able to show leadership during this time when you're bombarded with information from certain quarters, requests for information from parents and the children of your school, which may not be easy to satisfy. How do you think you've been able to show leadership in all these different areas over this period? I think sometimes you just take it for granted. I mean, some of us are natural born leaders. I'm just a naturally born bossy person (laughs) who sort of likes to take control all the time. My assistant head said it to me uh, the other day because I'm I'm saying, it's too much, I can't cope, are we doing the right thing? And, And I was going on and she said, Emma, calm down. This is your forte. You cope so well in a crisis. And it was like, wow, she's lifted my spirits and uh, you know it's, it's almost like that wartime let's pull together and and you know go forward and and it you know it's nice having people around you who sort of remind you that you are a good leader and you are doing the right thing because I think a lot of it is thinking in the moment yeah 
there are have been times even text messages from members of staff or an email from somebody from the local authority even just asking a simple question I have had to go away I've had to research it I've had to think about it I've had to digest it before I can give an answer because I don't want to give misinformation or wrong information at any point Mm -hmm. so it's made me actually and we talked about it earlier I'm having to stop and I'm having to think before I then answer any questions but last week on Friday evening I did get a text from a member of staff who said that one of our parents had sadly passed away from Mm. the uh, COVID-19 and my first initial thought was who are the children so you know obviously can picture the children in in my mind and and then it's oh gosh I need to tell staff I need to and and it's like no calm down got to think this through clearly obviously I went and I slept on it and then the next day I thought right okay my first thing I need to do is to let that family know that we are here we are Mm. here we support them in any way I don't know what they need because at the moment they're on self-isolation The father has passed away, but, you know, the mother and the two daughters are going to need something at some point. What that looks like, we don't know. And I just need to get a message to them. So, you know, I I spoke to my leadership team. They were the only ones I'd I'd sort of told at this time. And I said, I'll I'll get a card to them. So obviously yesterday I, I wrote the card at work and I thought, oh, I'll just walk over and drop it off because they live opposite the school. And then I thought, no, I, I can't. I can't do that because of all these government guidelines. I'm I'm supposed to be keeping, you know, my distance from people. And, and I've got to start following the rules. So good old Mr. Postman. But could I find a stamp? No. <laughs> so I had to rely on, a, on another member of staff to give me the stamp to, to post it to the parent. But it's, it's been little things like that that I'm now going to have to work out what's the next thing we're going to do that family are going to need some support but I'm fortunate that I'm in contact with CAMS people in Harringay and we're part of the trailblazer as well so there's an awful lot going on with mental health support teams in Harringay so I've got a lot of people I can go to to get advice or to get support from I think at this moment in time it's not about what I know it's about who I know and who I can go to for support and advice yeah but I think the other thing that you probably know this from the inside is that one of the great ingredients of leadership is a strong sense of values and I think from everything you've said whether it's about food or tuning into the anxiety and uncertainty the families are feeling or just knowing that to react immediately is not going to help because you need to give space to allow the right answer to emerge. It's all driven by those values of wanting to, to help people in the way they want to be helped. Yeah, and, and, and this is it, bereavement. You know, I, I've gone through my fair share of bereavement um, with my family. My mum was a bereavement counsellor, worked for Cruise for a number of years. So, you know, I understand the process, how people grieve. But, you know, it's not about me. It's about that family. And I think that's what we at Seven Sisters are very good at. We know how to help our parents and our our children. Yeah. 
you, you've got that strong connection with them because none of us have a textbook for April 2020, it turns out. No, <laughs> it feels like it should be Christmas already. <laughs> that experience of time is a really interesting thing for us all to revisit. But speaking of time, I'm afraid we're nearly out of it. Oh, wow. I know. I mean, time flies fast when you're podcasting, slower when you're not. <laughs> but we'd like to finish with a, a sort of little habit we've formed with each of our podcasters. And that's to ask you a few questions that might help people get to know you a bit better in a kind of fun and interesting way. So I'm going to first of all ask you, if you could choose to take three famous or prominent people into isolation or lockdown with you, if you'd got that knowledge and ability ahead of time, who would you have taken with you? If, if I could take people with me, it would be for purely selfish reasons. And uh, I think the first person I'd take would be Gary Barlow, because I love Take That, I love the music, and he could sing to me. I love singing. I think it's good for the soul, as they say. And then I was thinking about it, Morgan Freeman, that man's voice is so soothing. He could tell a really good story so I, I think that would be good and then I, I probably the last person would be is I'd like my nan to come back I'd like to be in a room with my nan again because she could offer good advice and she just told funny stories she was just a funny woman so those would probably be the three people I'd like I'd like to be with well, it sounds like you want to blend some entertainment with some wisdom in there. Yeah, it's, it's about looking after yourself, isn't it? it and not going mad. And, and, and it's about doing what you need to do in times like this. Yes. I think if I were in that room with at least one of those people, it would be the, have the opposite impact on me. But I won't say that. <laughs> You're allowed to take some media, a book, music, film recording of a sporting event or play or something like that that would have been live would there be something that comes to mind that would help you pass the time oh i love tv that's my wind down but my absolute most favorite favorite program ever is absolutely fabulous sweetie darling so i would take the box set of absolutely fabulous because it makes me laugh and cry so yeah yeah so you should have a smile on your face. Yes, I'm smiling now as I'm talking. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, a luxury, something that might allow you to either comfort or indulge yourself. Oh, I, I think at this moment in time, a luxury is hand cream, isn't it? The hands are having so much wash and anti-back on them that they're dry and they're cracking. And for me at the moment, it's just pure bliss when I put hand cream on my hands. So that would probably be my luxury item at this moment. Okay, well, that's a, a smart choice to, as you say, sort of remember the need to keep hand washing, but at the same time, make sure your hands are ready for the future. Yeah, something like that anyway. <laughs> also really comforting, I guess. Yeah. Well, thank you, Emma, so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. I think there'll be a lot of people recognising some of the challenges and dilemmas that you've faced and many more, I think, tuning into the values that underpins everything you do. So thank you so much for talking to us. And thank you, Richard, for listening to me.